Welcome to Sintalk. The Sintalkers around the table today discuss the list of permitted emotions. We'll think about emotions and the forces that allow and disallow them. What does it mean to feel something? Where do emotions come from? Are there hidden emotions that we have not unearthed yet? What role do others play in creating our emotional worlds? Do emotions follow patterns? Are all emotions both biological and social? Did the introduction of sound make cinema more emotion laden? What does art do? Must art only be mimetic? Do we need melodrama? What is taboo? What is repressed? Where would new emotions come from in the future? And how might that change our world? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Dr. Ashish Avikunthak. He is a filmmaker who trained as an archaeologist and an anthropologist. He divides his time between Providence, Rhode Island and Calcutta. Dr. Amit Ranjan Basu. He is a mental health professional who works at the interface of society and culture. He works at Shaheed Hospital in Delhi, Rajhara and Chhattisgarh. Shaheed Hospital came up as a result of working class movement. And Prabodh Parikh. He retired as a teacher of philosophy. He writes in Gujarati and paints and is currently involved in making a documentary film. So Ashish, why don't you set the ball rolling with you? Um, in your world as a filmmaker to try and answer or think about the general question of where do emotions come from more generally and where do emotions come from in films you know how do you make emotions or how do you how do you create that world that triggers it or makes it happen or configures it or leads to it in some way how does one go about thinking about this question and then we'll see where we land up as we start i think the question where does emotion comes from is a very fundamental question because that's the question to be human uh, we know for instance that even non-humans especially some kinds of animals and birds also exhibit emotions but in the case of humans i think that is what makes us human is that it is the most complex forms of emotions that are displayed by the humans where it comes from is a very i would say it's a complex question in the sense that it could be the very act of being conscious that produces emotion it could be the very act of consciousness in an ecology in the ecosystem of the world we live in that interacting with that yeah. friction that produces emotion and that ecosystem consists not just of other humans but also consists of other non-human entities like air for instance so for instance i come from calcutta which is considered to be now one of the most polluted cities in the world the very act of breathing in a city of calcutta can be emotionally distorting 
for somebody like me who has asthma since I was a kid. Sure. So probably that is also to be asthmatic is also emotional. Uh, although uh, medically, probably Dr. Basu would argue that asthma is physical. But for, for people who suffer from asthma or from other forms of diseases, uh, that the very fact that you are in Calcutta or a place like Delhi where you, the very act of getting up in the morning and coughing for few hours does produce a very powerful emotional way of being. So, I mean, this is an example to, to explain or to kind of elucidate the idea that emotions can be produced or generated through many different forms of frictions, which could be friction between a human and another human or a human or non-humans, which in this case, let's say, is a polluted air. So that is just, so as I said, well, it's a complex question and therefore I would think of it that this, it's a friction that produces emotion. But you're not saying that to live is to emote or to live is to experience emotion. You're saying you, you use the word consciousness, which has a very different kind of valence than just being alive, right? So, I mean, the, the, you, you kind of bring your conceptual world and many other things Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. I, I would say yeah. that consciousness here is to be in the world. And this is in the sense of in a very Heideggerian form. The very act of being in the world means that you are engaging with the world, which produces a certain friction, which produces emotion. And I think that's how I would, I mean, that's probably the basic way I would describe how emotions are produced. So in your in your life as a filmmaker, um, and I know your kind of films are somewhat different, so we'll get to that in a bit, uh, but in your life as a, f as a scholar of cinema in some, in some way, um, how have you and your ilk thought about that question? I think cinema is, is uh, the idea of emotion in cinema is a, another, I would say, complex way of thinking because cinema is essentially a visual medium. Right. And the problem with vision is that vision does not have emotion. Uh, for instance, perception you, you, is, is devoid of emotion. You mean that in a rigorous way? What do you mean it doesn't have to, to in see? In the sense that uh, uh, visions, uh, vision or the visual... Just perception of Perception something. doesn't produce emotion. Whereas I think the point that you were, you were making at the introduction, I think sound, which is what we talked earlier, I think sound is emotional. Oral, the musical, the noise, these are emotional. So when cinema emerged uh, in the late 19th century... Uh, and scholars have spoken about it at length from the early, the first two decades of cinema has been called Cinema of Attraction by Tom Gunning, where uh, in a certain sense he's arguing that audiences were going and watching moving images because of their possibility of, the, it was attractive because the, they could see things move. So that does produce emotion. The very act of seeing, for instance, and, and the first instance of moving image are workers leaving the factory of Lumaire Brothers, which is a very banal moment. What you see in that moment is a certain, is, is basically, when I, when I mean by that, the, that there is a visual 
quality to it, but the emotional quality just starts emerging. And as the early cinema emerges uh, since till 1910, early 19s, it is fundamentally cinema of movement, of things that people have not seen. For instance, somebody in London, when he sees an, a moving image of a cart in Banaras, produces an attraction, which produces an emotion. But I would argue that that is still a ve- that kind of emotion is very primordial. Uh, what happens is with the when, when you say primordial, you mean something which is difficult to articulate is not. I think it is primordial. I mean, it is still very. Uh, it's 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 truly emotional in the sense that it's largely visceral. You kind of I would I would yeah, say you that. kind of feel that. Yeah, you can see, but it is still not most more sophisticated. I would I mean I I, I would argue that emotions fundamentally emerges in cinema with the arrival of sound right that's with the arrival that's of dialogues with the arrival of music with the arrival with the arrival of just the oral ecology that a moving image is located in because as as we know uh, and is that the sound is more basic or based than the visual for for and i think dr boss would probably explain it better is that when the child is inside the fetus he's unable to see because everything is dark, but he can hear. Right. So hearing is more primordial in that sense. And so the first 20 years, of the first three decades of cinema, it was devoid of, of sound in that way. Although it would be correct to say, it would be incorrect to say that early cinema was devoid of sound because early cinema right from the beginning would have live musical accompaniment. Interesting. So there was early cinema. I mean, like right till nineteen twenties, uh, late twenties, when when they were able to merge moving image with the the optical moving image with the optical audio image. Uh, sound did not exist in this combined panel, but almost all early cinema projections would be accompanied by my musical accompaniment, and it is the musical accompaniment which which is basically lost. We know what they were playing in some certain cases, but in many cases we don't know because like any live accompaniment, things would change. Right. right so the, I, right. I think the argument... That's an interesting argument. The, Where are you on this, uh, Prabodh by this, this... I'm a little uns, unsettled with some of the observations, so hmm. thinking. Uh, I would think twice before placing the oral as a primordial... Uh, partly because we are cancelling out the amazing ways by which emotive uh, nature of being human or being someone or something in the world has its own amazing presence. For example, the gestures, you know, the, for example, the way facial expressions in dance or in other mediums make full use of the body as uh, abhivyakti as an expression of any of the rasas or any of the ways by which we experience life. So I think the point isn't that sound is the only um, dimension or whatever that has expressive quality. There are other ways of expressing. No, I would go one step further just to problematize a little bit. Yeah. Uh, language is also seems to have been given uh, an extraordinary importance in this scheme of things. Uh, so when we begin to speak, we express ourselves. But I was thinking that neither language and nor sound, what happens to silence? For example, 
in meditational practices is crucial that you learn to shut your eyes and you learn to not to speak to yourself. And that quietness, if at all, in principle, if ever it is experienced, that quality of emotion takes care of this whole question of emotions. But beings, Because it puts it to... Mm. It is somehow, it is neither favorable nor unfavorable. And that's, a, that's an experiment that has been going on for centuries, I think. So if we bring all this into focus, we begin to feel a little uneasy about uh, sound and vision. I think red, gathe comes to my mind. Colors speak <laughs> very charged, emotive ways. Right. But that, again, we are projecting. So the question of emotions is the way human beings project it into the world. Mm. So complicated question would be, do we, quote-unquote, inherit them? Are we conditioned by the world in which we are born already, been thrown into from? the world yeah. to take Heidegger? And is there a room for ever getting out of this trap of having inherited the ways by which we experience the world, very conditioned? So that would be another set of questions. So where do emotions... And I'm extremely uneasy about the notion of permitted. The word permitted already sounds militant and fascist. And, and human beings have always been working on that in order to experience something which is not a matter of permission, but a matter of uh, being free from... Something more spontaneous, organic. Uh, something, yeah. something. We use the word freedom, but what is meant is to become a vyakti. I said, we'll get back into that. But there are ways by which uh, I fully understand the notion of what Plato would call, uh, even before the written word, is the spoken word. Right. Which is the, anyway, please. No, I, I, you know, I was very specifically talking about in the context of cinema. Yes, I agree. I yeah. take it. Whereas, yes. whereas, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of within the tantric idea uh, of, of the body, the sound is more important than the visual. What is the tantric idea? So, you know, the tantric idea, for instance, and I think in, in certain sense, basically the argument is this, and I'm going to, this is highly simplified. Sure. Uh, that the human body has a potential of producing three forms of vital energy. Mm -hmm. One is sound. The second is breath. The third is the energy to be able to produce another human being. Right. And the and again, as I said, I'll underscore the simplistic part of it. The argument within this, the tantric sadhana, is to cultivate and practice on all three or all one of them. In that context, the sound becomes the most, the earliest or the primordial form that, because again, it is something that you produce. You don't yeah. just perceive. You know, it's not, yeah, there's a very it, it clear. Doesn't impinge upon yeah, you. There's a very clear difference between perception, hands, Production, feeling, yeah. uh, seeing, hearing. These are perceptions, where a sound is production. Right. Breath is production. The generative fluids are production. Right. And so the tantric uh, epistemology argues that it is by a sustained uh, cultivation in the form of practice on each of these three elements or three energies 
that allows a possibility of a certain form of liberation. Right. A certain form. I think sure, many, sure, many. Sure. So in that context, the 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 idea of sound as Nad Brahma, the, the earliest primordial, becomes very important. And I, that's why I, I would say that uh, not Fair to say enough. that not to say the gestures do not exist, but I think within the tantric form, it is these three energies that needs to be cultivated. In that context, the sound is the most uh, uh, easily controlled or cultivated, but therefore takes the longest time. Whereas pranayama and the control of the breath is more difficult. Therefore, it's slightly faster. Whereas, if the control of generative fluids is the most difficult, right, and therefore the fastest. So it, that's how it's a very simplistic way sure, of thinking. Sure, sure, sure. So, Amit, look, you, you, you obviously meet patients. You kind of in your trade as a psychiatrist and so on. I think Prabodh Bhai touched upon this point <laughs> of uh, whether we inherit the ability to experience emotions in a certain kind of way. Do we inherit the templates? Do we inherit the grammar of what happens? How social are emotions? Uh, of course, it's biological in some shape and form. How does one think of that interplay between the between the two? How do you mm. characterize what an emotion is um, mm. as 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 you? Mm. Well, too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> May I add one? Yes. Uh, let, uh, just as just to you're you adding know. to the pile. And no, I'm question. giving this example because <laughs> so if you are born in a certain community the way you experience anger and the way you express it would be a classic example by taking the working class, the Dalits, the Wagris, the, the you know, how we... So for them, it would be one of the easiest ways by which they would uh, use four-letter words in every second sentence and they mean it and they are angry and they're ready to kill one another for that. And yet it's a life of a community, very integral and expressive and experience right. emotionally. So, Yeah, fine. I mean, uh, let me start a little bit uh, historically. Sure. In the sense that when actually we read, I read anatomy, so I was told that the most emotional part in our brain is the lower brain, the limbic system, from where actually the basic you mean the amygdala? Five, five or seven emotions are already embedded there. And from there, when the human being slowly develops, then the emotion develops. But the important, uh, what I would say, conjecture you have made with the social, uh, I would like to make this comment that to me as a practitioner, I find that emotion is more social than something biological. I have read the theories... And, 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 and you're saying that in a rigorous enough way with... You're saying that consciously, that it's more social oh, yes. than biological. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very, very consciously. Because I have read the theories of the neurochemicals that work in my brain. Mm -hmm. I have read how actually it plays. Mm -hmm. I have also read that how actually it creates different kind of emotions from which one has to understand whether a person is depressed or not, whether a person is agitated or not. But this, to me, is something very strongly given. Because how did I know about the neurochemicals? Or how did the scientists know about this? They had something in their mind. They had an experimental model. And they had to find out the root cause from where actually the emotion springs up. And built on that, 
then you get social then you get political then you get cultural am i clear about my point i'm not sure i fully understand this amit so your point is is your point that you get what you look for you you notice that somebody was sad and you went around what exactly is the point that you make if somebody is sad then either he or she is saying he is sad so there's an articulation or, or he or she is making certain gesture which i have been taught to understand that one is sad correct there's a cultural But as uh, uh, parekh bhai has said very correctly that emotions are so different across the cultures mm-hmm. the way actually we weep when somebody dies not in many cultures they do that mm-hmm. so in a case when somebody dies in my family i don't cry then people point out to me that he is he somebody gone wonky so i will come back to the question you have raised well it's it's a very very foundational question but i would still argue that the whole biological substrate that is producing emotion can be can be actually nullified well from the argumentative view point it can be nullified but from the experiential view point the way we have created the words and to understand that and to classify that and to make comments on that and diagnosing and give somebody a particular sermon that you behave like this or don't behave like that so obviously don't you think this is how, actually how how does one understand one's own emotions how does one know that one is sad angry peeved irritated delirious whatever how does one know that what is that can i can i can i rebound the question to you yes what are you feeling now at the moment oh it's a tough question i don't know someone like wittgenstein has thought a lot about this let me that give private an, language argument and uh, so the the private language argument but yes the whole question of when i how do i learn to say that i'm not feeling well how do i tell this to the doctor or to a friend that i'm feeling sad well i picked up the language of sadness and its articulation by having been born within a community where i have picked up various ways by which this expression can be meaningfully mm. used for it to be quote unquote communicated but and there's yet, some intersubjectivity there right when yeah. you say something i have to roughly understand the same thing he wouldn't he would cancel out the idea of you will never know what i feel a classic argument we all experience right. in human relationships right mm. and sometimes even within ourselves we experience that and i think it would be a good idea to, no we'll wait for the notion of atma vanchana self is yeah i'm thinking Please. about two things that uh, omeda spoke about so i think the first thing is he's uh, he's kind of questioning is something very important mm-hmm. which is the neurological understanding of emotion which over the last what 20 30 years in in the textbook for instance serotonin mm. is the neuro neuroreceptor that makes us mm. happy mm. and there's so many so sure. the, so what 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 medical what contemporary medical science has done to emotion that it has scientifically classified it that which 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 doesn't which make it some, untrue but it may be overly determined by that no i will come to that later but hmm. i think what what omeda is trying to say That's and, a point. and because his scholarship is in that area he's saying his argument i mean i if i if i'm going to i think Please. thinking through as a as a hmm. as a historian as an anthropologist historian of science when we start disambiguating ideas hmm. Hmm. is the argument i think what he's making is what we also do is that what what science does is what it has done it has objectified 
the emotions in the brain is it is it as object is that the problem is it is it is it problematic to isolate an emotion and call it sadness and say that this is composed of so much um, of uh, right this and that is little, that the problem yeah, is objectification yeah, yeah, yeah. the problem yeah. what's the problem um objectification definitely is a problem but more problem is that science come as a very powerful dictum of determinism mm mm-hmm. it is already always said mm-hmm. so when you question science your then, problem is with the over determination because it's not untrue i'm not right? going it's, into the althusserian uh, sure. uh, theories and all of over, over determination let me remain in my own sure. uh, forte sure and use <laughs> no but there is such a thing as serotonin uh, yes, yes there yes. is such a thing as serotonin you're, you're not denying the existence of serotonin. whatever is called serotonin it could have been called something else no no i'm not denying that yeah but what actually i'm trying to resist is that why the science has progressed quote unquote progressed in a way that it would fix my emotions and my expressions in a particular way because this chemical in my brain is doing that so it is the typical cause and effect kind of a solution sure but the world as i told you the world is actually consisting of words mhm words mhm so it is the words that will create certain things that you will understand about the sadness about the anger and about all these things another so, point so with point- the another point with the serotonin and the biological thing is that how that became powerful did it become powerful by itself or it became powerful by the discourse right and why that discourse became so powerful you look at the juncture when these theories are coming up why a lot of people become uncritical because that becomes very easy to operate so a person in front of me who is otherwise quote unquote said as a schizophrenic or person suffering from schizophrenia will break all the rules yeah so usually the term is that they are devoid of humanity or at the fringe of humanity or at the margin of our human society so uh... so how then to understand the person in a language which you have already learnt in the textbook and experiments i mean the mm. advantage of having you is that you deal with real people who walk in through the door and sit opposite you and they presumably have some problems or issues or whatever they want to discuss with you now how do you read their emotions ah how do you read their emotions what what is that well process? well that's that's uh, very very existential mm-hmm. very very existential what brings that persons to me mm-hmm. did he or she come on his own usually some people bring them that this person is not working according to the rules of the society or the community he's just referred to right so they have understood the person in a particular way a code which is dominant right. otherwise they wouldn't have so when this person speaks out and you listen to him very carefully then you try to find out the interlinks between many things it is not the singular person having a problem with serotonin or dopamine it is the person who is in a context who is in an existence in the community in the family in the society somebody actually ridicule him somebody loves him so all these things together one has to actually relate to the person 
that what actually this person seeking for so what does that lead to it leads to some uh, it's a self image problem uh, what happens it, it it can be said in various ways one sure. of them can be a self image problem mm-hmm. but the thing is that there are many people suffering from so called schizophrenia in our society are living happily right they are not being brought to us right but they are not life is not in danger not in trouble right i give you an example that is of a very very regarded person mm-hmm. so who was basically a priest but he used to hear voices uh, from his goddess mm-hmm. he used to talk to the goddess he never used to eat when the he feels the goddess is actually at pain right krishna so <laughs> will you dare to call him a schizophrenic in our culture i think the question is what what ramakrishna experienced as as an emotion no. i think it, because it, because yeah. ramakrishna has become ramakrishna so there's a narrative around him there's a so that narrative has become so powerful right so that it can dismantle the so called scientific things so we build our own narratives we build our own that, stories that, that's 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 one aspect of it second aspect of is that i would argue i have seen many ramakrishnas in our society <laughs> many ramakrishnas have you prabodh bhai uh, uh i would bring in the question of suffering just now mm-hmm. if it was merely a question of uh being neurotic or being paranoid or various ways by we by which we describe aswasthata hmm this is mm. with oneself or with a fellow human being it is only by living and experiencing this if you have a brother or a sister or a wife or yourself who is neurotic about reaching 6 hours before the flight time right you know how uneasy our lives become and continuous discord begins to enter into our lives so inevitably we should bring in with the question of emotions and no idea of suffering both in terms of pain and suffering when we bring in that i feel little i think we haven't yet found a clue as to how to deal with a person who is suffering we haven't now it might be a suffering which is a result of schizophrenia which is known how to function in a world this driver i was coming with if i was married to him it would have been a disaster of a life right, right. but he might say <laughs> no what he might say the same about me right okay this guy is so quite stupid nonsense doesn't feel anything right okay having said all that you know surprisingly in indian poetics and i'm sure many aesthetic traditions ranging from the most prim- primitive is not the right but african to this part of the world to afghan to syrian poetics have always found a way of classifying emotions mm-hmm. and very significantly i think Mm-hmm. and usefully is a better word mm-hmm. so karuna das and you know jugupsa mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we all the classical list that americans throw upon us all the time ten basic emotion negative emotion we know how to handle that and i'm think that will come up when we bring in so w- what do the poetic traditions do what do you mean oh, when you, you, you know say the that they classify the rasa mm-hmm. and right surprisingly the rasa which attracts me without giving any resolution in my life personally is a notion of nirved mm-hmm. now nirved is some, is disenchantment in a way and it is also a disillusionment and, and therefore you arrive at the idea of complete 
disinterestedness and right. it's not aesthetically a very great experience and sense of empty it's not the shunyata but you would the, call nirveda an emotion or is it a state it's, it's a state of mind but it is identified in classical tradition with shantarasa shantarasa uh, yeah so mm. i was talking mm. about this earlier no neither favorable nor unfavorable right somehow right that is a human advent experiment going on uh, why don't we succeed with that schizophrenia or no schizophrenia i think because human predicament is such that we are never going to be out of it we may speak big we may build philosophic tradition which are all meta traditions tantric and but you know, i have rarely come across lives where emotions are at peace with themselves that's mm. that's, that's troubling that's, does that does the thought trouble you no it, i would, you, I would you're like, stating that as as a fact no it's, is, no it's a it's a troubling thought mm. i would like to before i die i would like to find a way of life which is non resentful and in that sense one in which accepting things as they are now there is yeah emotions here what kind of emotion would that be nirveda i think and in positive sense but it this is, is already it, i'm already moving away from what it, i dislike philosophizing yeah. no, i was just just try, trying to say the, the the film i've just finished which is what i wanted to invite all of you is called vrindavani vairagya oh vairagya is also mm. like nirved mm. is that you exist in the world but at a distance no without attachment mm. which is again a very uh, without attachment and i think that is that is that is important to think through what 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 uh prabodh bhai is saying is that that's something how 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 do you is that and here the question to your original and, question is that a permitted emotion to be detached yeah mm. because you know when you say that emotions come to be as a result of friction or interaction with the world yeah. well there's an element of uh, it's it's a paradoxical exactly. kind of situation where you say that you know you have to be detached but can kind of be in I mean I think but then within well, within the Buddhist philosophy or within the Vedantic that is exactly the position to eventually reach that to be in a fictitious ecosystem but not be affected by it right and therefore you, I think the word that I would like to invoke now which is attach is affect right hmm. which is also a, like it's al- almost a twin word to emotion hmm. uh which is which is very significant in anthropology for instance emotion is not so significant so how would you distinguish affect from emotion okay that's a it's, difficult it's, question it's, i have to think about it but i think emotion is more uh, ontological that mm-hmm. happens to me mm-hmm. affect is how i feel this is um, this might be an incorrect definition but I'm, that's sure. how i would i would i would think of it but it's kind of a twin thing that goes along mm. alongside mm. and and getting back to mm. omidas you know his own experience as as a psychiatrist uh, i think there's something very important that he's trying to i i kind of want to talk about it that there is a very clear distinction between emotion as a medical artifact the medicalized emotion it's a, it, it's it a medical being, artifact for example yeah, fair uh, you you are neurotic and there mm. are you know i i'm sure you know you you get into the neuropsychological textbook and psychological mm. textbook mm. they are mm. they are almost neurotic about their own mm. uh, yeah. fetishization DSM of classification DSM 5 DSM 6 mm. yeah. going <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like you, you look at but however however amanda ah. mm. there is 
it's not like there's no body, right? There, there is the body. It's not like whatever the emotions are. It's only social, only contextual. Now, would you agree that there is the body? I mean, there is the body as far as emotions are concerned in this context. There is, isn't it? Now, where's the body in all this? I mean, can you can't blank that out. You can't take yeah, it away. We are embodied selves. No, yeah, but I, I, I mean, can. Uh, I can argumentatively, I can take that out. Mm-hmm. I can argue that uh, that the body is not the sole essential thing from which. But do you tell your patient simple things like take a walk, go around? Patient work is different. When I'm sitting in the seat of the psychiatrist mm-hmm. and doing some patient work, but it's one word. Then I'm then I'm constantly guided by a whole. I mean, uh, what I would say, a discourse of medicalized actually uh, thing of psychiatry. Does it work? It works at least uh, when you actually you collaborate. Mm-hmm. When actually make the person understand that this is the best thing for you. So but medications is also required. Medications is required. Medication, I don't have much qualms about it because since uh, human civilization, uh, people have actually always discovered something or the other. Even in the animal world, sure, they also actually discover by themselves. Sure. So there is nothing, something great about it that we have uh, actually, uh, what I would say, discovered medicines and drugs and all these things. What actually I'm trying to say in a roundabout things, and I'm very happy I have two sympathetic uh, interlocutors. Can we essentialize emotion? Is it at all possible? Just by the neurochemical theories. Would you accept that now when this talk is going on, some amount of stimulation and excitement happens? But you see, I'm using the word stimulation, right? Using the word excitement, and you are all nodding your heads, right? Why you are nodding your heads? You already have the words in your mind, right? So if some person does not have that word in that mind and expresses to yourself. You will call him Pagal, which is which is a Wittgensteinian problem. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm very afraid of the <laughs> philosophy. No, that forget is. that. But let me introduce a Tagorean, <laughs> very, very, Tagorean very, very expression. Crass in uh, uh, philosophical no, things. Yes, yeah, so, so, I'm also. So, uh, uh, I find Tagore exceptionally rewarding on this question for sure. He makes a distinction between Tatyagat and Bhavagat. Hmm. That is to say, fact-driven, right, and felt, hmm. facts and feelings. Yeah. Okay. Put it that way. But the notion of bhav is much richer, and tatya also Absolutely. is very crucial. Mm. Uh, mm. Tatya mm. is crucial. Is mm. yatartha, and uh, mm. let us uh, never take away what you said: uh, emotions and its relationship with our embodied selves. Mm. And thank Lord, attention is being given to it because sometimes my brother is a psychiatrist in US and he says, Prabodhbhai, we have to give medicines. There is just nothing else we can do. Things are so... Anyway, going back to the world of Tatya and Bhav, I think if emotions are seen not merely as facts of lives, but as felt experiences, as lived world, then we might give attention. There is another very unfortunate predicament of ours who can speak generally well and articulate and have layered of, you know, ways of talking. Are we able to reach out to a fellow human being when we talk like this? When who doesn't we, have, who don't have that who, conceptual vocabulary? Not only 
to human condition and the way it is experienced do, if if is, there is, is something to reach out to that is empathy necessarily mediated by words do you use the idea words several times now mm. what does one do if if you know if if you don't manage to get a conversation going at all some some way then what what happens there signs ah signs symbols the paralingual stuff why call it paralingual it is lingual it's another signs kind of science system of signs course. are finally interpreted in the linguistic sense sure 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 of symbols course. are also interpreted in the linguistic sense sure isn't it probably that's why we call shabd hi brahma hmm but i'll i'll intervene and give an example from mm. krishna murti please which krishna murti uh, well the j krishna both are fascinating but he is referring to the j is well settled yeah uh he visits somebody who uh has just experienced the death of the most close person all that he does is holds a hand of a person who has lost the dear one sits quietly and moves away not a word spoken aren't we sometimes able to experience not only us the quote unquote the buddhi jeevis <laughs> just being human so would you consider in that sense i return to the idea of wordless ways by which hmm. we can experience the deepest of the emotions love and sex does that to us sometimes <laughs> right mm-hmm. so buddy elen's film would do this very well right so you just finish you know uh, violent love making and when you come out you, the body says it all <laughs> right so i was trying to take it back to the body and right. the emotions uh, if you look at yourself when you're angry in the mirror you you, you you're a different body <laughs> Uh, you know i want to kind of talk about something again getting back to uh, omidda in anthropology there's something very clearly uh, there is a distinction and it is not uh, in contradiction that there is obviously the the neurobiological medical idea of emotion which has been reduced down to uh, compendiums in encyclopedias and then eventually because medical works the medicine works with the cause no sure. medicine works with the cause effect right so sure. if you're ill you need to be given this and that's something cannot be denied that it has an mm. effect right but then there's another argument which is what i think uh, he's is talking about that that particular idea of being how do you know you're ill for instance that's something again you you know you're ill because you see other not ill right or you see somebody ill because he is not what you are right that's that's a very clear and that seeing both ways i am ill because he is not ill or i think he is ill because i am not ill is fundamentally a matter of social cultural perception that is that is within an ecosystem and if that ecosystem changes you mean there are norms and yeah if mores, there be, for instance there's yes. a very famous yes. study I, i couldn't just walk into a tribe and read yes. start no, for, reading emotions right, for right instance, away right there's a very uh, very important one of the earliest uh, ethnography of emotion is by an anthropologist i'm forgetting her name i remember reading in in the school uh, she actually goes she does an anthropology of emotion in the eskimos in in north mm. Uh, mm-hmm. north canada mm-hmm. 
I think her last name is Briggs. I'm completely blanking on her name. Sure. Where she goes and she's working in this uh, family and she's unable and and she has a problem in negotiating with the uh, with the with the uh, the 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 main person the father uh, because he doesn't get angry <laughs> and she's unable to conceptualize uh, that why the anger is not being not coming out in the way she's used right. although he is angry but she's unable to read so it so both reading so there's that templates that Absolutely, we fall back on. Absolutely, I think that is mm. crucial. There's that templates that mm. we fall back Th- on, that both is for experiencing as well as reading. But mm. that is crucial. That is why Ramakrishna was not considered schizophrenic during those during during his lifetime. He would have a tough time today, maybe. He would definitely have a tough time today because if he existed today, no, if he, he would, if he is a priest in Dokineshwar today then, and then, says, you know, I I am going to get in, you know, I'm I'm seeing this goddess making love to me, he'll be thrown out. Right. Right, you'll be in problem. You'll be in problem. problem. But and still, no, for instance, with the case of Ramakrishna, hmm. I mean, also there have been a lot of studies. Ramakrishna is something is one hmm. of the most uh, studied uh-huh. uh, saint uh-huh. in Indian modernity because of hmm. Srimo, who wrote almost like an ethnographic account of his day to day life for the last five ten years, hmm. like I think four five years. Is therefore we have a huge data of what was happening to Ramakrishna, and by all accounts, you know, Shudir Kakkar's book, right? He is talking about. Ramakrishna's and he, I mean his argument is a very interesting argument. He says all the saints in India are all the saints in India are are superhuman, are, are schizophrenic. Right. Or as a fact, you can't be a divine person if you're unless not, you are if you're not unpredictable. Or or more 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 clearly, if you're not schizophrenic. <laughs> Only schizophrenia uh, is a subjectivity a that allows you to, to be allows saintly. you to be done. Interestingly, Ashish, <laughs> if you look at attentively to the ways by which huge number of huge number of indians fellow citizens relations neighbors experience ram krishna just to take an example they sit with kathamrut they were little sharda and ram krishna little thing and their lives are made bearable sometimes happy uh, engaging they have not much else to look forward to Right. way of saying it they enjoy other things also but their preoccupation with spending a sizable amount of their time and life centered around quote unquote these uh, very challenging individuals like Raman Maharshi or Sri right. Ramakrishna uh, what do we do with all of our theorizing uh, that should be taken up as the so uh, emotion seems to be a, a cutting across in a manner so as distinct from bhav shunyata and lagni shunyata in a negative sense which is what i think mentally disturb people often experience and that's that when you and i experience that we are we don't seek out help but we are almost there mm. Mm. without mm. grace and without mm. any mm. sarnagati we are almost there may i you you're absolutely right mm. I, I, yeah. before i'll just want to give you another ethnographic example So for the last few years I've been trying to shoot uh, a, a, a series of ritual that happens in Bengal uh, around the new year Bengali new year which is called Chorok uh, in and the Chorok is is considered to be a pretty uh, highly ritualized event that occurs in different parts of Bengal where you have an you you have a particular ritual where which is which is called hook swinging where they would put hook the div, the devotee would hook himself Uh, with, with with an iron hook and he would be hung 
and uh, from his back and they would he would be moved in a right. centrifugal Santal, For for somebody uh, which is alien to this culture, it's considered barbaric. But for the devotees, it is the it is this act in, in, of being hung that you become divine, because you're doing something which is divine, which is not which is not possible by humans. That you're piercing yourself and then and walking on the streets. So here is a very interesting contradiction. For one culture, it is considered barbaric. For another culture. the very act of doing that barbarism makes you divine and if you were to check the neurotransmitters the side yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. for a person like this i mean do they genuinely feel happy no, i don't know i'm not sure uh, if it well, is happy well, being well, divine uh, doesn't mean happy. sure 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 <laughs> absolutely i'll, I'll, I'll I, come back to it in a, yeah. in a roundabout way but let me interject uh, what what my interlocutors have said both uh, ashish and parik bhai actually i wanted to make the point there are still many ramakrishnas in india that means there are still many people who can talk to goddesses <laughs> yes it is right ha huh. no, right and, and 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 people and people don't bother them right in the village right for example if i lose my job i have long hairs i will wear a robe and go and sit under a banyan tree so people would come and start actually uh, giving me money and food and so everything so the question so, the question about so, that so, so, not whether you can pull so, it off but whether you generally so, speak so with now, gods now 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 i come to this <laughs> that if this is a phenomenon that is accepted here but not accepted in the so called hardcore modern world sure then who has the privilege to call us savage right who has the privilege to call us we are we are not cultured sure at least still in my practice since i practice in an area which is uh, overwhelmingly uh, i mean inhabited by adivasis tribals yeah. and i have also worked in calcutta where rehabilitating patients was a major headache what what difference do you see between calcutta and that's what Dalli actually Dalli i'm Dalli saying Dalli. that's what i actually saying my point is that in an adivasi culture they won't allow me to take away that guy into a rehab center hmm into a hospital incarceration for long they will ask me that what we need to do but the thing is that he's looked after he is not marginalized somebody takes the responsibility to give him medicine somebody asks him how actually you are doing and all these things he may listen to them may not listen to them are they treated as patients so that is important not really not really the way actually the word patient has come because it depends on how it's framed right yes yes so i will go back to my point of argument again the emotion we are constantly trying to talk about over here particularly the question that you are raising It, neurobiology is one of the many discourses right now it's your option that you choose neurobiology is that my hardcore psychiatrist friend tell me so, but when i ask them 
that something happens around you or happens with you how do you understand that like that was the first question i asked what at the moment you are feeling but there is a theory called here and now theory right <laughs> i'm not getting into that there are many theories what actually i'm trying to get at permitted emotion not permitted emotion or what is it the how the word emotion has come are there taboo emotions in the tribal yes, society in yes that, uh, yes different things may be yes, taboo there it, yeah. it various cultures some emotions will be tabooed some emotions will be not right who forms that taboo who says that this is the emotion that you have to have say one of my friends when she got married she didn't cry because she was very happy she was actually leaving her father's place which was very tormenting for her uh, she was very happy but everybody told him this is very bad this bride is absolutely wrong maybe she had read some marxism or something <laughs> she is trying to show that i am great uh, i think that no, it's no, understood all, all yeah. the things that creates us to think about our emotional is very difficult to actually get into some substrate get into filtered into something that is objective you can get it yes i have got the truth in my hand right because i don't have the truth in my hand that's how emotion is interesting right that's how emotion is always actually pushing me to some unknown world i'm happy that i am i am uh, i can negotiate with unknowable <laughs> Um, yeah. you know you you had the you you asked him a question and I, i'm i'm kind of, what does it mean to genuinely talk to the goddess when right. you asked him so you asked him like so are there people who genuinely yeah, talk people he may pull off a stunt so and, the que- but, no the question is that in that moment there's nothing the the, the term genuine is an incorrect term mm-hmm. the the question is this is there needs as, to be some kind of authenticity to that dialogue right? even yes. authenticity is incorrect okay so even dialogue is incorrect how does one frame it he is that there is there are people who talk to divine and you you have now the problem is and when is to take that at face value no you it is it is depends on what is your ecosystem of rationality and that is i think the crucial question is how do we rationalize for instance mm. there is this machine in which we are recording i mean because i have a rational framework i know science i know audio technology i know that this thing that i'm talking in front you're at ease with it no it that it is eventually get going to get recorded there's faith there, there's a rational faith i don't know the science of this but right. i have a i i know a certain idea in the same way there are ecosystems cultural ecosystems which is willing to uh believe it authentic that somebody like ramakrishna is talking to the goddess that somebody that i'm i'm there's i don't need proof for it and the same way i don't need proof to figure out that my my sound uh, is is being transformed into electrical waves it gets trans- i don't need a proof for it right i even if i don't even know i know it is going to get recorded so i think there are there are so therefore i think the question is what it a question going back to the first question you had permitted emotion the permitted emotion depends on the cultural ecosystem we exist in and that is how it's other, permitted other, I, other. Have, i have a little sorry i mean i do feel uneasy with uh this partly because some of us have actually experienced 
a sense of unease for having been born into a world which was within the framework of a community in which you were born. Mm-hmm. That unease could have easily led to a breakdown, emotional breakdown. Partly it didn't happen in some of our cases, my case, is that I have not, all these are a part of the world I'm born into, but I'm not <laughs> at all. It's not because I'm using any of the criteria that I have mm. got as mm. an education. Mm. It is because the way I've experienced life. So if I felt uneasy with Ramakrishna talking to goddess, I may not interfere with that. That's a sign of mm. ways I mm. take care of my humanity. But if a close person claims that, but in actual life, of the way we conduct our lives, it doesn't reflect, I don't feel easy with this particular way of celebrating or accepting or not raising question of genuine and ex-wife. Don't bring the words rationality. Uh, but, but I'm curious five, about it. If, if I'm... So what does it mean to take up the project of becoming an individual in a world? What does it mean? Because all this makes sense within the context of a community in which we are born. We seem to be feeling that this is an unending, flowing ease of the tradition. I, in personal life, I haven't seen that. Those who believe in Ramakrishna can be as nasty, as terrible and as mean as any human being. So where is the difference? Yeah. In that sense, I will raise questions about these conversations. Right. If it comes in my field of living. Because they're still, yeah, so one would still look for a certain no, kind of I logic. Think not not logic, point, that, neither logic, a certain nor rational, not explanation. Experiential, existential unease. Hmm. It is the, I, yeah. I uh, mean, the Jains who could handle 2002 riots by marching, it didn't make sense, no? Right. You are a practicing non-violent Jain right. who gets up at five in the morning and but when it comes to getting them, the Mias, they are proactive. What was the point? Uh, sorry, like, sorry. But <laughs> I mean, no, my, yeah. my point is getting back to the authentic. This genuine, authentic, all these words, to me, are highly political. Mm. Political in the sense, if I call you unauthentic, then you are already degraded to some point. Well, you're the hegemon. Yeah. You are genuine. That means you feel elated. That yes, there is something genuine. So these words did not fall from the heaven. These words came from use of our vocabulary in the, what I would say, discrimination of power. But I think the question is, is it only that? The question is whether it is only that. The question was not that. It is only that. But people actually tend to go into that. People will tend, what is the authenticity? Is it real? Is one acting? Or there is something actually really happening. So what happens in films? So so always, always people will try to go, particularly for the earlier anthropologist, what is the origin? Even in Communist Party, when actually we used to campaign, so we used to start from Amoeba. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So jokes apart, what actually I'm trying to argue, you see, even in the Europe, when Foucault writes about madness and civilization, right. 
Right. So the question of modernity is profound. Yes, not only before madness. that people used to talk to the divine. Sure, sure. Foucault sure. laments there is no divinity anymore. Films people, people cannot be non-productive in a modern world. Right. You that's, have to be productive. In the service of. And use the word capital. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think mm. you're absolutely what, fine. Like, yeah. What I mean, like, just films? getting back to f- films. Like, there mm-hmm. are. It's it's not just a process of capturing the world that exists. It doesn't just photocopy it in some shape or form. There are super melodramatic forms. They're very, very. Di- it's it's a different kind of universe. S- s- how how does it work? Well, cinema fundamentally is is is. A representation. You mm. are representing. That's something we need to understand. We are recreating. Even if we are shooting a documentary, uh, it is a recreation. It is a representation. And uh, within, 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 and, and, and here the problem emerges. Like so, when early cinema, as I was talking about, when cinema started telling stories, in can the, one experience emotions that you don't experience in the real world through your uh, absolutely? You know, we are never, via via cinema, you, we can't. You know, you, you cannot be melodramatic in the real world, right? I mean, you're going. You're not going to meet your lover and start doing a a a a, a, a full full song, and then, then. So why does melodrama work? Why do oh, melodramatic films work? The melo, the you, hey, I think that's that's an important question. Uh, scholars have argued that melodrama is is a product of highly uh, hierarchical societies, and where there is a constant. And it's it's a Marxist argument, uh, which so I'm forgetting the name of the scholar, but there's a very important book on melodrama where he argues that uh, that 17th and 18th century melodramatic opera were produced in European uh, cultures where they were highly feudalistic. And so he's trying to make an argument between feudalism, hierarchy, gives birth to melodrama. Uh, and when in the context of cinema, we, we and, and he's not incorrect in that sense, where, wherever melodramatic cinema seems to work or is popular, are essentially in in societies with with, with power feudalistic with, yeah. with the feudalistic and this is very Marxist with feudalistic hierarchical uh, situation pretty much in India uh, many parts of uh, South Africa uh, South America Africa where feudalism still exists sure uh, that you have uh, or, 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 or that you have melodrama. Uh, being being uh, common now for me melodrama is not really a problem for me realism has become a very serious crisis why is so because I think and this is coming from the Foucauldian moment is that the very act of recreating mm. realism mm. becomes mm. a hegemonic part of a hegemonic it's a reproductive form of, it's thing. I mean it's a Lacanian mimetic right you know you're just mm. recreating mm. and therefore in the question mm. of emotion mm. and this is the basic crisis you're making copies of what already exists yeah but not only that you make a superman who's actually a superman also act like a human right and that's where the problem is that that the hegemonic realistic intentionality is so uh, so so has become so deeply ingrained in the form that even when you have superhero films they have emotions of humans so like so even superheroes emote like humans humans and which is where the problem so is so what is the problem with that the problem is that superheroes should emote like superheroes superheroes how do you know how superheroes emote exactly because we exactly so the problem is so what happens superhero <laughs> can become melodramatic for instance right superheroes can become 
and that's heroic or anything so else. So how do you deal with that as a filmmaker? Oh, as a filmmaker, I have a very radical, radical position to take uh, in this that I, I make films uh, almost uh, to use uh, 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 Prabhupada's word is that it is nirvedic. It's like completely, completely devoid of emotions, detached. There is a money called Garana. Yeah, there is a money. I think it's not even coming mm. from... Any, it's no, coming no, I didn't even, Yeah, no, right, you're but right, he, absolutely. I remember a long conversation where he talks about the question of how he wants every word and sentence and dialogue spoken is brought down to a level where it completely devoid of emotion. Why so? Uh, I, I, uh, well, because what's he... The, what's, the, what's the goal? Uh, I will just let him say. I'll just say this, and this is very important. I was supposed to. I was going to. So I think it's it coming to money. Money call. So it emerges from Robert Bresson. Sure. And Bresson's ah. uh, uh, idea of of religiosity for him, the the that humans are themselves divine figures, that by by instituting emotions in them, you make them different so his whole idea was to work in cinemas to create gestures so for 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 bresson gestures became the most divine element in cinema not the movement of the hand very famously uh, the movement of 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 uh, other objects and 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 he he his practice was very uh, rigorous because he would for instance and the famous example which everybody talks about that if you he would make his act first he would work with non actors second he would make his non actor uh, let's say that he's asking this non-actor to place a glass of water on a table. He'll he'll take fifty shots, where he he and he will only the particular shot in which the non-actor has not acted is the shot for him. That divine moment has emerged. So uh, money and Kumar. Money, and the problem with acting is that again it, you're playing it is, a template. It is, uh, the, you know the problem with acting is that you are creating a real world. And therefore, becoming God. So for him, the moment of divinity act uh, divinity right. occurs when you don't know you're acting. Right. And I think and Mani Khal and Kumar Shani are following that principle. And in the case of Kumar, and I think the term and I'm just the, ter- the term that money money doesn't use his the the production the name of his production company is Infra Kino. Hmm. Now, if you think of infra, infra is, is the Latin sub. word yeah. for sub, going yeah. down. Mm. And I think that is something important. So if we look at realism at zero degree, right? Mm. right. Then almost all, all Satyajitre, neuralistic cinema, basically after World War II, you have a rise of this because of portable cameras, portable sound recording system, that, ca- that cinema could move into the real world, which is why neuralistic cinema of, of, of Italian realism is so very important. For the first time, you could produce realistic world, which looks real in its most realistic fashion, right? And that's what you have in, the, in, in its most exemplary you, you, form. You, you have a problem with that? No, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I have a problem with that. I'm going to explain you why. Is that, uh, which is the problem of Bresson, right? Because right, the moment you're creating, you... you, you so you, how does, how do you handle this? Um, so I'm just going to that, right? So, yeah. so, so I think the historical thing is important. So you have neuralism, which produces realism, and that becomes hegemonic. Uh, from 70s, 60s onwards, almost all films all over the world. There'll be a day when you'll become hegemonic, Ashish. Uh, right. No, I, uh, I hope not. No, how, how, how does he know that he is not hegemonic? hegemonic? Exactly. How does he know? No. Till, till, no, I think I would Very know difficult. if I'm hegemonic. So you would, you would if, call your school some kind of infra-realism? No, I come completely from, and and, and he's very kind. I come from are, the, the Parikh Sabah is absolutely fine. I'm coming from that genealogy. Right. That, two yes. things what I actually take from Ashish. The one is that, ki, yes, hegemonic, I will know about that when the politics is in the open. Politics is very clear. 
the difference of power relations are very clear then you can actually make a comment that who is hegemonic and who is non hegemonic who is a subaltern and who is an elite that's one <laughs> point absolutely second point is that what is real <laughs> no i think that is the fundamental question But that's a very very fundamental question because people who rules reality sense actually don't have insight and they have serious mental disorders exactly do we experience uh, fake emotions yes oh yeah oh yes oh yeah constantly what is that <laughs> again i think it's partly conditioning hmm uh hmm and uh, i mean you and i know it but i'll give an example anyway you know my mother in law has come and i say i'm so happy i'm not i'm miserable wretched we play but you don't experience that i oh, think the question I, is whether you end up experiencing no you experience is... it because you unfortunately you are condemned to be self conscious some of us mm. some those who are mm. not i i mm. call them lucky mm. But no mm. i don't want to judge they also experience in their own ways mm. this book of suzanne griffin i'm very fond of brilliant right. called chorus of stone and the entire book is a study of gandhi and himmler and uh, and a person who threw atom bomb and and their childhood and she talks about fake emotions and denial as a way of life in all human culture including in oneself mm. so fake emotions have partly to do with the way we conduct our lives with denial mm. I, mm. i mean just, just so you, you you mean there's some kind of a repressive freudian stuff going That's on there that one of the well formulated idea but denial is in so many ways and there's a game that we play with ourselves mm. i wonder if it's possible to get out of it so where do these emotions go then will they hurt you they demean you they they make you not the person that you would like yourself to be mm. now where does the idea of person you would like to be come from is a matter of being born in a certain community so one even doesn't fight that so the mo- the word modern is often seen very negatively these days but if we take away the connotation of modern with the west and this and that and that it simply means that we have moved one step forward to towards becoming an individual or at least as, uh, that being, is one being, of the, being at ease with that idea uh, yeah that is one of the projects that has come up on this planet uh, all over the world more or less do you, do you sense this individual social uh, dynamic <laughs> Uh, and but I mean, just last point yeah. even in the highest of the not highest in one of the favorite shlokas of mine ke iske liye usko chhod do uske liye usko chhod do pehle ghar ko chhod do phir desh ko chhod do phir zarur pade to prithvi aur patni ko chhod do if you are in search of yourself hmm. now forget the word atma and keep alive the word vyakti the person that you are hmm. so the challenge of subjectivity that we are experiencing some of us should be taken up headlong we, we shouldn't mind if it is described as a modernist uh, disease you know i i think i'm absolutely fine with that but my understanding is that when actually i started uh, reading history or start exploring history then i find a clear disjuncture between, between what actually modernity has brought to our society and what is actually called premodern it becomes premodern because we have brought modern so it is isn't it very important that how actually we are becoming modern to me that's a very important question second question is individuality 
in our society so far in my practice and in my research what i have found that we are not that atomized individual self controlling kind of a character we are communitarian so i have i'm giving two proofs in favor of that <laughs> yeah. a guy called proof number 1 a, a guy called alan roland mm-hmm. a psychoanalyst who used to stay in uh, usa so he came to india to find out because he had some cases over there south asian indian that they were actually not falling into his schema of psychoanalysis mm-hmm. so he came to india stayed here for 2 years two cases and uh, obviously people who come as cases for psychoanalysis are educated uneducated people are not mm-hmm. amenable to psychoanalysis they don't even know that word exists thanks to them <laughs> uh, good for them so Yeah. But they know their buas, by the way. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so don't take away that. <laughs> yeah, of course. So what happened is that then Roland finds out that these people, when actually you give them the responsibility as an individual, a circumscribed, atomized individual, they feel very helpless. When actually you look for their communitarian kind of a thing, they feels actually better. Got it. He gets into much deeper. Got and it. then writes a book in search of self uh in india and japan proof number 2 ah uh, so Shangam, this is proof number 1 yes. no, this is proof number 2 now proof number 2 is that in our country in this high modernity whether a people will be unplugged from the icu can the person decide right even if i write down that unplug me my relatives will not i, I remember when i was first signing my organ donation thing i went to my father because a signature was needed he said all rubbish right who are you to decide interest what will happen when you will die <laughs> i had a long argument i had a long argument but but my father didn't agree he said no this is not in your hands interesting why don't we yeah. end with this what's the future where are we headed what's the where do new emotions come from mm there's nothing called new emotions they all exist mm. they all exist they are encrypted i think we are not heading where we are already the future we're about living. the future about emotions is already here are there are, are some repressed some more expressed you don't think in those terms no. what's the future amanda ah uh, there are two things i will say first most of the time we have been using the word experience mm. i have problems with the word experience how do i know what i am experiencing what's the future so first of all i have to know what i am experiencing Ooh. so i fall into words <laughs> so future is create more words you see new words have come so there'll be more For emotions you see facebook more words will be emotional you see markers Twitter, you see whatsapp new words for emotion has come up Right. And your generation is actually happily exchanging all those things. Interesting. Right. When I actually see the TV, it seems that people cannot stand about love because they want to kill. Interesting. If you are falling in love with my girlfriend, my only way to get rid of it is to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Newer emotions about love for my generation to love and become Devdas is the best thing. Interesting. Hmm. Prabodh Bhai, where are we headed? Oh, we'll recycle them, and we will continue to 
suffer and cherish the fact of being human is mm. is living suffering for you no it's not a matter of living suffering a suffering is not necessarily in the negative way actually no, yeah, I, I, think, I understand but, that. Uh, i understand that no no i don't mean that i mean i i would be glad if i would be glad if the world is not as dehumanizing as i experience it around me it it's not an it i'm okay i know what to do with myself i'm a hedonist so it's all right but you have a jazz you have a wine no but you know i wake up in the morning it's lovely to see the poorest of the poor uh, still making sense of their lives with the ability to play with life but it's not a, it's not a very just world we are into and we were never into it so therefore i don't accept the notion of divinity and all that uh, at all some day will become clearer gandhi makes sense but ram doesn't right interesting i think that's a good note to end this on thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again god you. you make us talk so much thank you for thank coming you. Mm. thank you thank you mm.